Hello, and welcome to The Hidden Archives. I'm your host for the evening, Nicole Clark. Once again, life got in the way of our punctuality. Hopefully, one day, we can quit our day jobs and make this our full-time responsibility. But until then, we will just keep doing the best we can. Please be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hidden Archives Podcast and on Twitter at Podcast Hidden. Douglas Adams once said, To give real service, you give something which cannot be bought or measured with money, and that is sincerity and integrity. In light of this, let us provide the following service to you so that everyone's integrity will remain intact. If you choose to enter the hidden archives, if you choose to study the tomes, if you choose to take this journey with me, you do so at your own risk. Profanity and disturbing content will follow. This is your warning. It is important to maintain a good work-life balance. However, for some individuals, especially those with titles of authority, the work you do is more than just nine to five. Where then do we find this balance? How do we transition from one part of life to the next? It seems only appropriate that we address these questions to someone who not only holds such an authoritative title, but also knows something about transitions in life. We might get the answers we seek from the graveyard mayor. When I first noticed her at about 3.30 in the morning, she was wandering among the tombstones. In a graveyard as old and steeped in myth and legend as mine, this kind of thing happens often. Sometimes it's kids taking dares from their friends. Other times it's people trying to see if there's really something beyond this life. And sometimes it's just the down and destitute, just looking for a quiet place to sleep where they won't be bothered. This last one, though, is a bit poetic, considering what a graveyard is, a place for the dead to rest in peace. But I knew right away that this youngster was none of the above. I knew exactly what she was here for. A very large cemetery or graveyard like mine can be referred to as a necropolis. That term essentially translates to City of the Dead. And yes, I did say that this one is mine. I'm the caretaker, grave digger, and night watchman. I look after the City of the Dead, which is why I call myself the Mayor of the Graveyard. It's every mayor's duty to look after their citizens, and even though mine are the dearly departed, I take this duty seriously. That's why I approached her to begin with. Any good mayor would do the same to welcome a newcomer into their town. Now, approaching someone in a graveyard in the middle of the night is nothing to be nonchalant about. You have to take care not to surprise them or send the wrong message. So as she was wandering through the rows of graves, I came up behind her slowly but deliberately. I made my footsteps audible, but not threatening, not heavy nor fast, just deliberate. 
I wanted her to know that I was coming up behind her, but I didn't want her to panic. I was a few yards away when she noticed me and turned to face me. She was wearing clothes that I might describe as almost formal. She was well-kept and professional-looking, with a blue blouse and gray slacks. Her shoes, though, didn't seem to match, as they were more of a work shoe, almost like a boot rather than a shoe at all. Definitely not a mourner because she wasn't dressed in black, nor someone up to no good as she wasn't dressed for mischief. But don't get me wrong, I had seen many similar to the likes of her before. It was all part of my job. She was standing still and half smiling at me as it came within arm's reach of her. Though I was within arm's reach, I did not put my hand out to offer any formal greeting. Instead, I asked her a well-rehearsed question. Do you know why you're here tonight? As always happens, she did answer me, but not directly. She said, rather sincerely, I have family here. I would think that likely. Most folks around here do. Have you found them? Sort of. In a way, yes. You seem a little bit confused, or at least not entirely certain. Here, it's my job to help you out. Why don't you walk with me and I'll help you find some answers along the way. I would like that, she said with a shy smile. Let me tell you a little bit about what I do. I'm the caretaker here, but I call myself the mayor. It's a title I inherited from my mother when I inherited her job as the caretaker. My family has been such for as long as anyone can remember. Generations. And as such, I know everything about the graveyard here. I know where everyone is buried, and at least a little bit about their lives before they came under my care. Sure, some of our residents have more of a celebrity status than others and I'm likely to know quite a bit about them. But regardless of anyone's status in life, once they pass through my gates, their status is all the same. Now, just stop me if you find what you're looking for. But, until then, I'd like to tell you a few things about our little graveyard here. I started walking up the row of graves we were already in as I began to tell her what I knew she needed to know, or at least what I wanted to share with her. I told you that I know something about everyone here. Let's take him for example. I stopped just in front of a crumbling granite grave marker and gestured toward it as I explained. I never knew this soul in life. He passed on long before I was even born. But he's one of the residents with a more, shall I say, notable status than some. My grandmother, who was once the mayor here, did know him in life, however. She's the one that told me his story. His name, not that you can read it anymore from the tombstone, was Alistair Welsh. He was most known for being a bit of a funny man. Never took anything serious. Always made jokes, even when they weren't appropriate to be made. He liked to be in the spotlight, just soaking up the attention. 
Not too surprisingly, people around town really liked him. Well, most people. Not everyone. Apparently, at some point, he made a rather crude joke about the wife of the town sheriff. Well, word got back to said sheriff, and he was none too pleased. Had Alistair arrested on some fake charges. The sheriff was just trying to teach Alistair a lesson about taking things too far, but ended up going too far himself. Threw Alistair in a holding cell with another man that was brought in earlier on that same day. Actually, the other man, a fellow by the name of Jem Brooks, was put in a holding while the sheriff was arresting Alistair. So he didn't know that Mr. Brooks was suspected of killing an entire family a few towns over. Just thought he was another transient. So the sheriff left Alistair in the holding cell with that maniac overnight. When he went to release Alistair in the morning, he found Mr. Brooks leaning over his body, carving off slices of him with a bit of sharp stone from the floor and eating them. The sheriff immediately subdued Mr. Brooks, but it was too late. Alistair was well dead and half-eaten by that time. Both Alistair Welsh and Jim Brooks are buried here. Jim Brooks is in a different part of the cemetery, but his ghost is rumored to make its rounds looking for the meal that he didn't get to finish. It was my grandmother's job as a graveyard mayor to take both of these souls under, and on the same day, no less. That's no easy feat. You see, Alistair wasn't quite ready to go. Someone who dies violently rarely is. He didn't understand, and as my grandmother was trying to help him, Mr. Brooks showed up. I'll spare the details of the whole exchange because I want to explain something. In my family, we don't just dig the graves and tend the grounds. We help the souls of the departed move on. We have a gift that is passed down through each generation that allows us to communicate with and guide the recently departed. But along with the gift, there is a particular skill set that has to be utilized. Most of the time, the dead don't know exactly what has happened. Sometimes they don't even realize that they've died. So it's up to us to help them understand this. This requires a lot of listening, a lot of patience, and a lot of understanding. You must understand that the transition can be, well, traumatic. More often than not, the dead remember some things very clearly what they did for a living, a particular skill or hobby, a piece of music that they love. But they'll forget some things that should be unforgettable, like who their friends and family members are, where they lived, and of course, how and when they died. But what I want you to understand is that accepting this isn't bad or scary or difficult. It isn't like being struck by lightning. It's more like finding an old love letter or rediscovering a beloved but misplaced item. We continued to walk among the graves this whole time. 
I stopped us again at another grave and gestured towards it. This one, however, was much unlike the last. The last grave, the grave of Alistair Welsh, was old and nearly forgotten by all but myself. But this new grave, and knew it certainly was, still had fresh dirt piled up. The tombstone was clean and polished. There were even footprints from the deceased mourners in the grass around the grave. This is the grave of someone you may very well know. She died recently, just a few days ago. As my position dictates, I was there to help guide her on. She, like many before her, and I'm sure many after, wasn't quite ready at first. Although she, her spirit, was present at the funeral, she hadn't realized that it was her body laying in the casket. She recognized her friends, family, and loved ones and knew they were mourning, so she mourned with them, completely unaware that she was mourning her own passing. After the services, as is common with such things, many of the mourners kind of kept to themselves. She didn't notice that no one else saw her except for a few of the children in attendance. Children are sensitive to such things, but don't understand what they're experiencing. Anyway, I saw her wandering, much like I found you, and about to attempt to leave the grounds. Which can't happen, of course, so I got her attention and led her into the small chapel over there. Speaking of the chapel, why don't we head in ourselves and get out of this cold? We can continue talking in there. Yeah, that sounds nice she responded. So we made our way up the small hill towards the modest little stone chapel. When we arrived, I opened the door for her, let her inside, and motioned for her to take a seat in one of the pews. I sat down next to her, and we both faced the altar where a casket was displayed, albeit closed and ready for burial. Something else I want you to understand... I started, is that ghosts or spirits are very much real, but they aren't what many people believe them to be. For example, they cannot phase through walls. Not that any of them would think to try, as they really don't understand they're dead. They're also not transparent. In fact, for those that can see and interact with them, they look little different than any other person. Their actions are no real indicator of what they are either as they can interact with and manipulate their environments. Well, to an extent. Really, only for as long as they are on our plane, which is usually not very long. Not if I do my job correctly. If they accept death and make the choice to move on, then they're gone at almost that very moment but it's a choice to move on. If they don't choose to, they may be around for a while. Some that choose to stay are benign. They only wish to try and contact family or be around their loved ones, though the living rarely sense the presence of the spirit. And when they do, it's usually just a feeling. 
so it's mostly harmless if the spirit has no malicious intent, which because they are human in origin, they rarely do. But it does a great deal of harm to the spirit. Just imagine being almost within arm's reach, but not quite able to take hold or be heard. It causes great grief for the spirits. However, some spirits do harbor malice. Some wish to cause harm. And when they do, it's my job to try and prevent it. I have to make them choose to move on. But interfering with the will of a spirit can be dangerous. And that was something I was faced with shortly after I became the graveyard mayor. I'm sure you've heard the legend of the avenging angel. She nodded. Well, she was someone who took some convincing to move on. I'm probably the only one that knows her story for what it actually is. Well, I suppose there is another that knows. A man who killed her. But I'm getting ahead of myself. In short, the story of the avenging angel goes like this. Every Saturday evening, around sundown, the avenging angel is said to walk this very graveyard. As legend goes, if you stand on her grave with your back to the tombstone as the sun is setting, she will rise from the grave and take hold of you, to drag you under the earth and down to hell. If you put up no fight, she will tear the soul from your body and use it as a bribe to the devil himself purchasing her one more year in this mortal realm. Then, your body will be left as an empty shell of a person, doomed to wander about as a zombie until the end of its natural life. However, if you resist her, you'll incur her wrath. She'll tear you apart, scattering the pieces among the tombstones and letting your blood seep into the earth around her grave. But does she still take your soul to the devil? No one knows. Is it better to resist, or just let her take your soul? Perhaps if you do, you might be able to convince the devil to let you return to your body. What have you got to lose? The only problem, no one knows who she was in life. No one knows which grave is hers, therefore you must never face with your back to any of the tombstones on a Saturday evening while the sun is setting, lest you happen to be standing on her grave. This has actually become a popular dare for the local youth. They'll come here on Saturday evenings, find the grave of some random woman, and perform their own little rite, scaring the piss out of whatever poor sap they dared to do it. Of course, she never shows up, everyone gets a good fright or giggle, and the legend is passed to another generation. Convenient that she is supposed to show on Saturday when kids are not in school. Also convenient that everyone thinks it's an ancient legend, thus they choose an old and withered tomb. There actually is some truth to the legend, although this story is no more than 50 years old. The avenging angel was actually a woman named Agnes Jones. As I found out when I tried to guide her on, she was murdered, poisoned slowly over time by her own son. 
She apparently had a great fortune to her name that he was after, but she wouldn't give it up in life. However, knowing that he was the sole beneficiary to her will, her son, Matthew, slowly dosed her food and drank with a mysterious toxin. She knew she was being poisoned, but couldn't bring herself to accept that her own son was the guilty party. Thus, she eventually died. Her funeral was on a Saturday. I was in attendance. I saw her spirit right there behind the pulpit. She was one of the few that knew she was dead. So she hid in plain sight, trying to find proof that it was her son that had killed her. And when her son gave the eulogy, she looked over his shoulder to see what he had written for it, to see if he would stay on script. But he didn't. He actually hadn't written anything at all. He just got up there, a sheet of paper in his hands, and played the devastated son. But what Agnes saw in his hands was not a blank sheet of paper. It was a notarized copy of her will, and some travel arrangements for after the service. She lost it. You know how I said that the dead can influence their environments? Well, she certainly did. She eviscerated him, an action of pure, heated, supernatural rage. And that's where the legend comes from. He had his back to her as she looked over his shoulder. The sun was setting on that Saturday evening as he gave the eulogy, and he was torn to shreds. But she never knew that I could see her, that I watched it all unfold with perfect understanding. Convincing her afterwards of this was difficult. She didn't move on from this place for quite some time. But eventually she did. Eventually, if I am persistent, they all do. What about the soul from the coffin up there? Asked the young woman. Oh, they'll move on. But they haven't yet? No. No, but they will. I just have to be persistent. There was a pause in conversation as we both just looked towards the casket in front of the chapel altar. Then, without either of us looking towards the other, the young woman said, We've been talking for some time now, but you haven't asked me my name. Do you know who I am? I figured you would tell me in your own time. That's fair, I suppose. I mean, you did say that it's your job to listen, right? I did. Also, that you help people. That too is true. Would you entertain me by answering a question? Just something to help me out. Certainly. Could you tell me who is in that casket up there? Well, I... I guess... Hell, I guess I haven't actually looked into the casket. But that shouldn't matter. I think we know. I think we both know who is in there. Not to be disrespectful, but I think that only one of us really knows...
Well, I suppose that's true. Could you help an old man out? Would you tell me your name, young lady? Well, for the sake of moving on, I'll tell you. My name is Kelly. Kelly. It's good to meet you more officially. Likewise. But with that out of the way, I'm, well, I'm not really sure where to go from here. Perhaps the next step is to look in that casket over there. I think it'll be quite illuminating if we do. I do agree with you that we'll get some answers, but I don't think it'll be the most helpful step at this point. I don't think I'm really ready for that. So, I guess we figured it out then. Sort of. We're closer. But maybe we should take a look. You seem to know what you're doing here. I mean, you always did. I always did. What do you mean by that? You know what I mean, Dad. Dad? When we started talking this evening, you told me that you know all the residents here. You also said that this job requires a lot of listening, and that's how you know all the residents. You listen. Then, when they have had a chance to talk to you, you can help them move on. And I have listened to you for quite some time. You felt the need to talk, and I listened. But you just learned my name. Doesn't this feel a little off? A little reversed? He was silent, so I took the old man by the hand and led him a little closer to the casket. Although he seemed a little bit confused, I could see the glow of understanding starting to warm his face. We lifted the lid of the casket together and gazed in. Suddenly, that warm glow of understanding on his face changed into one of realization and acceptance. That's... He started, but I finished the thought for him. Yeah, it's you, Dad. He turned and took a seat at the foot of the altar. I closed the casket and joined him. Kelly, I'm sorry I didn't recognize you, baby girl. It's okay, Dad. Honestly, it's probably better we got this far before you did. We both knew that this is how it goes. I... Well, I don't know. I just thought I'd realize it, you know, when my time came. I don't know if I'm ready. I'm just so accustomed to being in your shoes right now, and now you got mine to fill. There's just so much that... That I thought I should have taken care of. Dad, it's okay, really. I'm ready for this. I mean, I'm not ready for you to be gone. No, no, honey. Sweetie, I, I'm still here, with you. I can stay as long as you need. No, Dad, you know that's not how it works. You need to be at peace. And you know staying will only hinder that. I need to do my job. It's my turn now. So... What now? Well, 
just as your mother did with you, you need to pass the torch on to me. Those stories you told me tonight were the last few you needed to share with me. You've told me the rest. I know these residents just as well as you do. So now you may join them. Your duties complete. I am the graveyard mayor now. My father was the first resident I welcomed into this community. I picked up exactly where he left off. This isn't uncommon in my family. Frequently, but not always, this job is inherited directly and abruptly from our predecessor. It is our job to know our residents. We share these stories with our children as they grow up. But we always leave one or two out so that we have something to share when our time comes. It allows us to have one last bonding experience with our child before we move on. It is very personal and keeps us close, all the way up to the grave. But, like I said, it is something that is very personal. So tell me, why did I tell you all of this? I don't know about you, but I'd prefer to inherit an old pocket watch from a deceased loved one, rather than all that responsibility. We'd like to thank you for joining us, once again, as we peruse the shelves of the Hidden Archives. Your familiar presence really helps to distract from all the other presences that haunt the rows of manuscripts. The next episode should be posted in two weeks. Thanks again for your patience and understanding with the somewhat unpredictable nature of our release schedule. There are many more stories from the Hidden Archives that have yet to be shared. We hope that you join us next time for another Glimpse Within. This has been a production of the Rhodes Collaborative Experience, LLC. Please no reproduction, duplication, or bastardization of any content without written consent from RCX or its partners. Ex animo, ex tempus, in archivum.